Welcome to Collision, a podcast where faith and doubt collide. My name is Nick Flores, the host. Expect to hear on each episode a story from a guest in your community. Yeah, your community. A story of their own experience with religion, faith, church, and trauma. All unscripted, raw, emotional testimony around their own deconstruction journey. We believe in honoring our true selves by sharing openly our struggles, doubts, and breakthroughs when it comes to religious trauma. If you are looking for support in any of these areas of conversation, listen in, because you never know who else has been where you are today. Expect to listen from diverse perspectives and grow in empathy and understanding, because when we share and listen to stories of deconstruction, we create a space where growth, change, and resilience flourish. This is Collision, where faith and doubt collide. Now on to the show. Welcome back to Collision, where faith and doubt collide. Thank you for tuning back in. If you're looking for an easy way to support the podcast, go ahead and open up the Instagram app and give us a quick follow at Collision Podcast. That is where we mainly post any news for the pod, new episodes, highlights, and more. Also, it's a great way to get connected with other listeners and even some of our guests we've had on before. That is at Collision Podcast. Now, it's already February, which is crazy. February 2024. We're already three episodes deep into season two of this podcast, and it just hit me. I completely forgot to mention New Year's resolutions. Time sure flies by, for those who aren't aware. My family and I recently embarked on a significant journey, a big move that prompted us to reevaluate our lives. We decided it was time to prioritize ourselves, to reclaim control and make meaningful changes. That meant delving into therapy to confront past traumas head on, hitting the gym to prioritize physical health, adopting better eating habits. Now that one was hard and it's still hard. See, reflecting on that topic this past week, I participated in that social media trend of sharing a photo from when you're 21. Now I didn't exactly have a photo from when I was 21, maybe somewhere in my archives, but I found a photo of myself just shortly before. It's 20 years old. Looking back, I was severely underweight. Fast forward to today, I'm definitely carrying more weight than I should. And body image struggles, like severe body image struggles, have been a constant in my life. Stemming from very real trauma, experiencing sexual abuse from my brother. After facing that truth, I found solace in food, much like a lot of us. Some more than others, I'm definitely on the more than others side. And I use it as a coping mechanism to numb my emotions. But now, with this new season of life upon me, I'm determined to reclaim control over my body, my finances, my eating habits, and all aspects of life. So, to all of you listeners, you listening in, I urge you to consider two things this year. Firstly, give therapy a shot. Find a therapist that resonates with you. It's worth exploring until you find the right fit. And now I mean, definitely shop around. Don't stick with one therapist just because um, you think that's how therapy works. Definitely find someone that can challenge you and also affirm you in some of your beliefs, but definitely not confirmation bias, as we brought up on the episode with Sean. Definitely shop around for a therapist that's going to challenge you. And secondly, take back your life. It could be as simple as tweaking your diet, picking up a new hobby, committing to reading more. I believe that when we experience any form of trauma, big or small, it's easy to feel like we've lost control, leading us to spiral further. But let's make 2024 the year that we reclaim that control. The year we embrace our stories and our own paths. You to you, own your story. 
This week, I have the pleasure of introducing Sam Hebert. Sam is a longtime friend of mine. We grew up going to Sunday school together. We served alongside each other in junior high and high school. Sam got started really quickly in the um, acts of service at church. He was gifted musically. He knew how to play guitar, and he knew how to sing. And so those two, you know, are automatic qualification for, hey, you're going to be leading worship for every service possible. Um, and so that's exactly what Sam did. He quickly fell into the trap of believing that him leading worship as much as he possibly could was a way for him to prove to God that he loved God and that he loved um and that he was an actual Christian. And so Sam lived with that burden and that ideology for a good chunk of his life through junior high, high school, um, and even into college. It wasn't until after Sam graduated college that he got a job at a church being a worship pastor and ultimately learned this new, like this new idea of who God is and what it means to be saved and salvation ultimately and what that means and that Sam doesn't have to do the work. And that ends up causing a little bit of a rough patch for Sam as he left that job and then came back home to where he grew up. And so I hope you listen into the conversation. It is really good and really eye-opening as Sam kind of unpacks what it worship means for him, what music means now as as an artist outside of the church context, writing songs um, that resonate with people, writing songs for him and his himself, not even just for other people, but as a whole, as as an artist. And so thank you, Sam, for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to you in this context. And I look forward to our our ongoing dialogue in the future. And so here's my conversation with Sam Hebert. I feel like a lot of times people don't feel um, heard, you know, I mean, that's obvious. It's like a pretty general statement, but a lot of times people don't hear heard in their own families or, uh, but especially in their own communities and their own bubbles that they're in. So when they get out of it, everyone thinks that they're just angry or just thinks that anything they say is just to attack the community they were brought in. But but it's okay to attack the things that were wrong about it, you know? Yeah. Like, like a, especially in like church communities, there's like a struggle with, with hearing what you're doing, with some stuff you're doing is wrong, you know? Yeah. As if it's going to question your whole foundation, which it's not. It's like, relax, you know, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> People can disagree. Yeah. I think that's what I'm doing. That's what I want to do is just create that in between, that in between space where it's not, super like all about deconstruction and everybody just doesn't go to church, but there's also people that maybe had moments of doubt and they're, they're still rocking it, you know, they're still yeah. going. And I think there's a lot to learn on both sides. So I know for me and my story, it's just, I'm like, okay, I left, I stopped going to church for a little bit. Um, but I feel like I needed that time away to kind of reset how I approach coming to church, how I approach all all things Jesus and so mm. um, but I don't think it's for everybody. I don't think everybody's gonna do that same thing, but I think that's totally cool. Yeah, I think I think we have this I think we have this wrong concept that Jesus Jesus can only reach us through um, prayer, the Bible or church. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, we often forget that those those things are like get tos, they're not have tos. Um, and I've, you know, like I, I took a long break from reading my Bible because every time I went to it, it was to prove that I was, you know, worthy of God's love or something weird. You know, I was like, I'm reading my Bible today. It's a checklist thing. And I learned more about God when I stepped away from the Bible, you know, for a season than I did when I was like in it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I think there's a, the deconstruction is, is really, can be really, really good. It can be really, really good. It can be cathartic too. And, and, um, and especially when you have people who listen and not just like prejudge what you're saying. Yeah. 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 So I usually start out just asking 
what's your experience? How'd you grow up with church? We know each other. We've a, a little bit of our growing up was spent together, but yeah. just assume, just assume I know nothing um, because I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to a lot of people. Um, but also for anybody listening who doesn't know who you are, um, just yeah, it's just there's only rules and and don't call anybody out specifically by name for <laughs> yeah. privacy reasons. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's those are the only rules. Unfiltered, raw, whatever you kind of want to say, speak your truth, share the story Sam wants to share, not a story someone else is like has a gun to your head and is like, no, this is the story you're going to share. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, share the one you want to share. Share your truth. So yeah, how'd you grow up? What's your experience with church? Um, and we'll just see where the conversation goes. Yeah, man. Um, grew up uh, in a Christian family. Um, amazing, amazing family. Had a, had a really good family growing up. Um, church was always, you know, a, a strong foundation of our family. The same um, church that we went to was also the school that we homeschooled through. It was the same program. Um, same program actually... Uh, Hope was in too, so we homeschooled together. So um, it's cool seeing her on her podcast because I, you know, grew up going to homeschool events with her and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, homeschooled through that school, went to that church. Um, for me, I think my relationship with Jesus was—I don't know if it was strong, but it was like I definitely did love. Um, do love God and, and love Jesus. Um, I don't want to say did because I still do. Um, and I definitely grew up with the knowledge of, of God's love for me and Jesus' love for me. And um, I was blessed to have a family where I could be broken with them and I could be myself um, and I can talk to them about anything. And that was, that was huge for me. Um, I didn't have to pretend to be someone to my family, which... Um, which unfortunately is, is like a rare thing. Um, and I think it's because I have parents who are, who are pretty like real people and didn't grow up, you know, necessarily Christians and they went through their struggles and they know the real world. And the reason I was homeschooled wasn't out of a, a sheltering me from society, but it was, it was, it was because my dad was a firefighter and he had a lot of time off. And so my family wanted to be able to, you know, take advantage of that and be able to spend time together. So that's why we were homeschooled. I mean, we were really weren't homeschooled for the sheltering aspect, which I know burned a lot of people. Um, and I had a lot of friends who, you know, were burned by their families because of that, that kind of stuff. But, but luckily for me, it wasn't that way. But even growing up in, a, in an awesome family and uh, with a lot of awesome friends, I, I really struggled with fear. Like fear, fear is something I did hide from, from everybody. Um, I think for me that fear and you asked me to describe my story and I would say fear had like a huge influence on, on my story um, from you know from being a little kid being scared of the dark and you know as I was growing up being scared of like demons and, <laughs> um, and then being scared mostly predominantly for my own salvation uh, the assurance of that and the insurance of the assurance of like I'm Am I, am I really a Christian? And, um, you know, unfortunately, as much as I loved a lot of the things of the church growing up, I feel like that community preached um, a works-based salvation, a salvation that said, you know, if you're really a Christian, your life will look like A, B, and C. You know, if you're, if you're really a Christian, this is what the things that your, your life is going to be presenting. So, for instance, if you're really a Christian, you're going to love people really well, you know, and you're not just going to love them. You're, you're, you're not just going to do the acts and pretend to love them. You're going to mean it with your whole heart sort of stuff. You know, you're going to be the kid that volunteers every week. You're going to be the person that puts their life down for others. You're going to be this thing, right? That's what this kind of Christian thing was. Essentially, if you're a Christian, you're going, you're going to be Jesus. You're going to be a lot like him. And so with this impossible standard I believed in, um, I, I truly believed, like, I might not be saved because, you know, I don't love everybody. Um, I, it's a struggle for me. I, I struggle with fear. I struggle with lust. I struggle with all these different 
these different things. And I was like, Jesus didn't look like this. Like Jesus didn't fight with this person over here. Jesus didn't have arguments with his mom and not get along with her. Jesus didn't have, you know, lustful, whatever it was. So my life is not really looking like him. I wasn't, you know, I was, I was like, you know, I got to read my Bible every day. I said, read my Bible every day. And if I read a chapter, then I was good that day. You know, my Christian card was signed and I was good to go. And I believed that I could lose my, my salvation, which I think was the core of, of that fear um, that kind of defined the way I did things. And so when I was in, uh, in junior high, um, and you remember this because we were in junior high together, we went through youth ministry together, um, I did worship. Um, you know, I could play music, I was gifted in music or whatever, so, so you have to use your gifts for God, you know, otherwise he'll take him away. It's the fear in my head. People had told me that. Um, <clears throat> so for me, it was, I got to play worship every week. So I played worship every Sunday, you know, three services, and then every Wednesday night, and then every other Friday from when I was 11 till, you know, I got to high school. So from age 11 to 13, I was a full-time worship pastor as a kid, volunteer, not getting paid. And the funny thing about that is when I, uh, when I got a job at a church, you know, when I was graduated college, um, I was a worship pastor for a bit. I was doing less worship in my full-time worship pastor position out of college than I was when I was in junior high. I was doing more worship in junior high as a volunteer than I was <laughs> outside of it. Um, and I think, I think because of that and being overworked and, and the pastor at the time, like dear friend, and I don't blame him at all for, for that. And um, I do question why no one thought to like check in or, or like not even just check in, but just like, you know, say like, this is not a have to, like you don't have to do worship. Cause it always felt like to me, I had to do it. It was like an obligation, you know? And I was thinking like, God, God wants me to do this. And yeah, it's hard. And I'm going through these, this severe anxiety and this like overworked thing, but, but I have to do it. I have to prove to God and to others that I'm a Christian and mostly I have to prove to myself that I'm not going to go to hell. How does that translate at, at home? How does it translate for you at home? Because like I saw you on Sundays and Wednesdays, like you said, and Fridays even, but I would imagine you're practicing probably a lot at home too, probably trying to learn and pick up new songs. And um, did you ever kind of beat yourself up in those practicing of like, oh, I got to do better. I got to know this new song. I got to hit this note. Etc. Oh, Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think for me, like I, so I taught guitar for years too. And, and I, I was always frustrated when kids don't practice. And I was like, Oh, aren't you practicing? But I never really practiced much, but when I did, yes, it was very stressful. And it was never, it was never, the stress was always performance based. It was never worship. Like that's the thing is I didn't understand the concept of worship then. You know, I was just singing. I was just singing songs. I didn't, I didn't actually know what the song's really about even that I was singing, right? Like, but yes, that did translate at home for sure. That overstressed. I remember fighting with my mom a lot on, on worship stuff and like just, hmm. you know, like this note isn't right. And like, I'm freaking out, which makes her freak out. And it's like this whole, you know, you kind of stop for a moment. And you're like, what the heck? Like, what are we doing? You know, what is this like? God's not up there with a scorecard on like listening to worship and being like, mm, like that note was off. And so I am out of this worship thing. You know, that's not, right. <laughs> that's not what he's doing. Uh, definitely translated at home. But I think, I think most of all, like there was an umbrella of fear over my whole life. And for that specific time period from when I was 11 to like 15, um, I had like severe anxiety and severe, like, um, depression, and no one really knew that in in youth ministry. Um, and I, I, this fear, like it was like cr this crippling fear for salvation, and that I didn't have it, and that I wasn't good enough, and that God was looking at me and He was disappointed. And um, you know, because I'm in this position of worship, how dare I be worshiping when I'm thinking this thing over here, or whatever it was, and I would hear these voices in my head. I mean, it was almost like, I don't know what other way to describe it besides like mild schizophrenia almost, like mm -hmm. where I just had these voices in my head 
and I couldn't tell anybody. And it was like, it felt like demonic. It felt dark. It just felt like I'm completely alone. And God is like, if he's listening, he's not answering. Um, yeah. And it, I just, but I kept doing it. Like I kept pushing worship and I kept doing the thing that was, you know, that I thought was good for me, but in reality it was like the unhealthy thing. And I think that's, that's one of my takeaways from that period is like church can be really unhealthy. Even if it's good, it can still like you serving in church can be very unhealthy for you. Like, so I just had no concept of Jesus being pleased with me, God being pleased with me, God being not disappointed in me. I had no concept in like the gospel, the good news, right? No concept in it. Heard it. But the way I think it was preached at that church was, you know, gospel for 20 minutes and then here's 30 minutes on how you can be a better person. Here's 30 minutes on how you can prove it. And that to me was the devastating part that I was quick to believe in, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I get, I get that Jesus loves me, whatever, but what do I have to do? Like, how do, how do I get the assurance that I'm not going to go to hell for the rest of my life? So... I think for me, that crippling fear followed me and, and, it, and it continued and it morphed into, you know, more mature fear, I guess, in high school. Um, and then I went on to college and I went to a school that was very, um, I was going to be careful saying this, but I don't really, I don't really care. <laughs> this school is very legalistic, um, okay. very works-based, and uh, I won't mention the school by name because I still have friends that, um, you know, that... Are involved in it or whatever, but they'll know the school I'm talking about. But, and I've told them that I disagree with it. I mean, I, I, I probably line up with that school like 60% of what they say, but my fear morphed into this idea that, okay, maybe I can't lose my salvation now. So the school I went to is very Calvinist. So it's very like, you know, once saved, always saved, um, you know, predestination kind of stuff. So I went from Calvary Chapel kid to uh, you know, college where I believed maybe I can't lose my salvation, but maybe I never had it in the first place. <laughs> and so yeah. the fear became, okay, maybe, maybe I can't lose it, but maybe I never had it. And then it was, if your life doesn't look like this, then you were never really saved. And so now I'm thinking, holy crap, maybe I was never saved. So now that fear is different. Now I'm wearing a different mask and it all has to do wow. with this idea of how God views me. Like, that's what I, that's what I realized. Like this fear that I'm feeling, whether it was the growing up fear or the, the fear I was at in college, it was the same, stemmed from the same place. Does God really have me? Does he love me? And does he fully know me and still love me? Um, and I think throughout college, I never had really the answer for that. I was never assured in that. And I did worship in college. I was on the worship team there. And that just worship was always something that I just, was like, okay, this is what I'm good at, so this will be the area where I prove myself to God and to others. Because I can sing, and I can play music. So here's my proof that God still loves me if I can still sing. It was really twisted. Weird. So I'll make, I'll make my long story even shorter, but <laughs> after college, um, I got an internship at a church. And it was a worship internship, which is like, I just can't seem to find out, you know, that I need a break. <laughs> um, yeah. So I go to this church in Bellingham, Washington called Grace Church Bellingham. And I'll mention them because they were like a, you know, like a, the changing place, I guess. But um, went to this church, sat with the pastor for a meeting and he walked me through Ephesians. Um, and I, Ephesians, I'd always been scared of because it was always the chat, like the, the book I went to, you know, to prove predestination over free will or like, Stupid, stupid crap that Christians argue about. Right, yeah. Like, just shut up for a second and, like, you know. And I'm, I'm going through this this book with the pastor, and he's walking me through adoption. And he's walking me through all the things that I've been fearing. He's walking me through answers to all those fears in chapter one. And it's just the first chapter. Like, you know, before you were even born, God sealed you with the promised Holy Spirit. Like, you were fully known and fully loved. Like, fully knowing who you are, fully knowing every wrong thing you've ever done, fully knowing what you struggle with every day, what you don't admit to God, fully knowing everything, 
He's lavished you in grace. And at the end of reading that, the pastor looks at me and he's like, so where in that is your work? And I was like, nowhere. Well, I looked through it all. So he's like, where in this does it tell you what to do? I was like, nowhere. Then he reads chapter two. Where in this does it tell you what to do? Nowhere. Chapter three. Where in this does it tell you what to do to earn this amazing stuff? Nowhere. Hmm. Chapter four. Nowhere. Chapter everywhere I'm seeing it's not about what I do, what I've done. Good things or bad things. It's about what Jesus has done. And seeing for the first time it is finished, explained like that, was like, it gave me just like, it just gave me like a new lens on everything that I'd ever learned. And it freed me. Like, and, and like the, the, the simplest way I can put it, it was just like a drink of water and I was in the desert for so long. And every passage in the Bible, like, starts to make sense when you have this lens of it is finished and you have this lens of Jesus paid it all. And it's not about what you do. It's not about you trying to be a good person. It's not about you working hard or disciplining yourself in Bible reading or prayer or church or whatever. You can not go to church for the rest of your life and Jesus would still be equally as pleased with you as he was when you were going. Like that perspective change like removed that fear of maybe I'm not saved or maybe and I, I won't lie like I still there's still residual fears like there's still fears that there's still struggles that come up like I still battle legalism on a daily basis right we're all legalistic pieces of crap at the end of the day we all have legalism but the gospel speaks to us all and the gospel's here for everybody and Jesus approached everyone in every walk of life and I'm just seeing that more and more as I go but that's just like a very short version um, of that story. I moved back to California to get married. So I've been married now for two years. Um, there's more within that. Like I started yeah. releasing music and writing music and that wasn't worship music, but it was more worship music than I was doing when I was in junior high because I was actually enjoying the gift God gave me, which I think that's what worship is. Enjoying what he's given you, not feeling obligated to do it for him. But enjoying it, there's more to unpack there. But yeah, would you? <laughs> would you want Sorry, to unpack that? Oh no, dude, you're totally <laughs> good. Like, it's only been twenty minutes, <laughs> and I think maybe you talked for like fifteen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, would you? I think yeah, I'm curious to hear you unpack like your approach back into music outside of the church context. Was that kind of new for you to do after learning, after walking through Ephesians and moving back to California, diving back into music outside of like a worship context? Um, how was that for you? Because I know for me as a graphic designer doing design for ministry, junior high, high school, um, for so many years and now doing it professionally, it just kind of hits a little differently. Um, totally. So I want to, I want to understand a little bit more about that process for Sam. Yeah. So that, I think, I think I thought I had the answer for, you know, in a couple of different seasons of my life. Like, um, you know, when I was 10, Oh, I want to be a worship artist because we grew up in a church that, you know, Phil Wickham came from and like Evan Wickham. Yeah. And, all the Wickham family and Scott Cunningham and Madison Cunningham and, you know, um, Jeremy Camp. Like there were so many word, like big name worship artists out there that came from our church. And so the reality of that became so realistic. Hmm. So I think for me, like you just, you kind of want to do what you grow up with, I think. So for me, it was like, I want to be a worship guy. Um, and then I started writing, I started writing music when I was, I started writing worship music when I was like 10 and 11. And then it, you know, as I started dating people in high school, transitioned into like, Ooh, like love songs. And you write these really, right. really like cringy love songs. You um, wanted and to that, Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I started writing these, these like love songs 
And I think that was the first time where I was like, oh, wow, like I can create something that's mine. And I've always, I always loved like creative writing growing up. So I think it was just combining that with, with music and it didn't have to fit anybody else's thing. It, it can just be mine was, was huge. And I think for me, like from 17 on, it became like therapy for me. So if ever I struggled with anything, I'd write it into music and I didn't have to show anybody. I could just play it for myself and that would show me where I was at in life. So I would write these like really sometimes like depressing songs and be like, oh man, like I'll never be able to release this someday because no one can see me like this because I have to present this, this image or whatever and God won't be happy if I don't, essentially. Um, so for me, like when I made the switch of like, yeah, I don't want to do, I don't want to write exclusive worship music. Maybe I do, but right now I don't. So back off, you know, like, screw you. I'll do my own thing, um, which, you know, let's go. Freaking love that mentality. Like when I was in Bellingham, I started writing a bunch of songs and um, I had roommates at the time that were, also writing music and so that was helpful too like you've had people in the same season of life like who grew up in the church and you know now are living on their own and kind of like able to dissect and say like oh you know like I still believe in God I still believe in Jesus or maybe they don't or what, wherever they're at like a lot of people that you're interviewing um, kind of yeah. in the season of like you know reflecting on everything and you're you're in a house with those people and then you're writing music with those people like beautiful songs come out because they it's just like that tension in those songs and you can like feel the emotion and you can feel the season of life that they're in. I was like, dude, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like this is what I want to do. And then I started playing those songs at shows and I started playing those songs and presenting it in front of people and seeing the response was like phenomenal. Cause you, you see people come up to you and, and, and this is where I, this is where like, because I've been challenged on this a lot from people who are like, well, you should do worship music because you're gifted and you're a Christian. And mm-hmm. Like, number one, shut the hell up. Like, yeah. number two, <laughs> number two, being honest and singing from where you're at, writing from where you're at, is more worship than singing a song you didn't write that you're that has nothing to do with you or, or has... <laughs> Or as a way that you don't even view God, but you're just do- leading worship because it's your duty or something like that. Yeah. Like, I-, I look at the Psalms of David and I'm like, there are Psalms that we don't sing in the church for a reason. Because it would be weird. It would be weird to sing a song about how you want to kill your enemies and how you want God to smite them. We're not singing that in the church, are we? We're not singing yeah, in the church. It's totally, you know? like, yeah, it's totally yeah, relatable, like, though. It's totally... Relatable. Yes. Totally relatable. And so anyway, long story short, I started writing this song um, about a breakup that I went through. This girl was going through a lot of abuse in her home. And um, that's a whole other story, like how that all played out. Um, And I wrote a song just kind of describing, I was like, how am I going to describe this like poetically, you know, Um, about her life and about like the call to like let go of, of the bubble that she was in. Um, so I started thinking like bubble, you know, and her house that she lived in was like a beautiful home, but the inside of it was like chaos. So I was like, what? So I started writing this, this kind of song. And, um, you know, before I started writing that, I started writing this cheesy love song and my buddy comes in the room, you know, one of my roommates and he was like, He's like, I challenge you to write, you know, something real, not something that like a fake story, but like write something real with that same melody that you're singing. He's like, yeah, that's just my challenge to you. And he like leaves. It was like really random. So I started, I was thinking about this story with this girl and I started writing this song. Um, And I was like, oh, like I've always loved snow globes and this idea that they look beautiful from the outside. And, And when you turn it upside down, you know, it's like, Oh, it's still like you see all the snow and you're like, that's cool. But on the inside, it's like a blizzard and it's like chaos, right? So this idea of like going to this girl's home, seeing all this abuse, calling it out, and then her whole world turning upside down and her seeing for the first time, like, oh my God, this is wrong. You know? Um, so I started writing this song, played it at a couple different places and people, you know, responded well to it. And 
related to it on a, on a high level. And that was the first time that I had like released legitimately like music. Um, and I released that song and everyone I showed it to before I released it, um, the musicians that came in and played on it, like everybody felt it. And there's like, there's some cheesy parts in it and there's some lines that, you know, I just threw in to complete the song and there's, mm-hmm. uh, is it the best song I've ever written? Like, I don't think so, but, but how I felt in the moment of playing it, like I was being real for the first time and I was, I was actually being real and not caring for the first time too what people at home were going to think when I didn't release a Christian song. I, I, I didn't care. You know, in my eyes, I felt, you know, for the first time in my life, I was in a season of feeling God is pleased with me because he sees Jesus in me, not because he sees Sam trying to be like Jesus. When I started to get to that place, that was when I started, first started experiencing like true joy, true peace and true freedom. So writing from that place was just like so fun. Um, and the song like started getting a lot of streams and it, it was like kind of crazy. Like people, random people from like Singapore and like different countries were messaging me and like, um, but the, but the coolest thing is that people were messaging me that were going through the same story or people were going through abuse at home and messaging me and like telling me their stories. And I was like, I, I have no training in like how to respond yeah. to you or no, like, you know, very careful saying, you know, oh, I understand. Like, I'm not saying that because I don't. Like, I wrote this about somebody yeah. else. But people, like, those opportunities for real conversations were happening not because I was playing some, you know, Phil Wickham song, but because I was playing a song that that I wrote in a season that reached somebody that was going through the same season. So I think I think that answered the question of, am I going to do worship? Or am I going to do, I'm, I was like, I'm just going to do real songs. I'm just going to write from where I'm at. And to me, that's what pleases God. Honesty. Yeah. Just being yourself. Yeah. I think that's exactly what Jesus did. I mean, you're seeing that all throughout the Gospels. If he just meets people where they are, sits with them, and not recognizes the pain they're in, right? And so that's exactly what you were doing with the song. It was like, I'm, instead of just like, I'm just going to sing hallelujah over and over again and <laughs> yeah. sing th- this chorus that you, know, you don't even know the words to. And, yeah. But you're like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see this person for who they are and I'm going to affirm them and what is happening in their life sucks. I'm going to write a song about it. I'm going to get it out there. I'm going to share with the rest of the world, people from Singapore, far away, um, yeah. are tuning in. They're like, I relate with that. And in that yeah. moment, they're like, they feel seen and they feel heard just as Jesus did. Um, and that's, just, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, re- I remember, um, I think you had Brad do some work on that song, right? Yeah. So I sent it to, uh, I sent it to Brad. Um, mm-hmm. I think I got like a, my first mix or master back or something. And I wasn't huge on it. And I was like, I sent it to him, like, what, I, I kind of explained, like, what I wanted, and I was like, what am, what am I hearing that I don't like, kind of thing, and so he sent back some notes, and, uh, yeah, so he helped on it, that was, it was awesome. Yeah, I was living with him at the time, and it was, it was, it was always on repeat, um, he worked on it a lot, but yeah, so the tune, yeah, catchy tune, he would sing it even when it was, when it was off, um, <laughs> and it would kind of get stuck in our heads. Um, just it was on repeat for hours. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, mean, I, was, I was working. Yeah. But that was good. I just had to put that plug in of like, hey, I know this. I know what you're talking about. I know the song. And, yeah. It's, and it's crazy, yeah. dude. Like, I released that song first because it was the most diverse one that I'd written. I mm-hmm. Like, the releasing part of it was very strategic. It wasn't like, I'm releasing this because I want this message. Like, I didn't think anyone would get it. Mm. I really didn't. I was like, this is way too obscure. Like, snow globes? Like, what the heck? You know, who's people are going to... And I released it intentionally in January because if I released it, it was ready in November. But if I released it, then everyone would have thought it was a Christmas song. So Mm. I released it in January. So even my releasing was very, like, 
I don't think it's going to reach anybody. This is just, I think it sounds cool. It shows my range and it shows like where I can go stylistically. Like that's why I wanted, I was like very, you know, artist, like I want to pursue this artist thing. So I'm releasing it for that. But the response from it hit me in a whole new way where I was like, wow, like music, music really is a universal language and people understand even if I think it's obscure, like everyone that said, I think it's about this, like hit it on the nail. You know, they'd ask what it's about, but what, what do you think it's about? You know? And everyone that said it was like, wow, like that was like, that's crazy. You know? And some people had different stories with what they felt like it was for. And, and that's like, boom. And that's what it's about. So it's for you to, I love that. Like Taylor Swift had a quote recently where she was like, someone's like, who did you write this song about? And she said, it's for whoever listens to it and has that person in their head. That's who it's about. I was like, that's so freaking, like, of course Taylor Swift said that, but it's so cool. Of course. Yeah. I mean, she's a queen. <laughs> she's a queen. She really is talented. You got to give it to her. Best songwriter of mm. our generation. I mean, for sure. I mean, she's always on my, like, top five of Spotify wrapped. I think last year, yeah, last year <laughs> she was, like, number five. But because I have kids, like, um, Bluey was, like, number one. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> I'm afraid next year will be uh, Trolls and, and the Wonka movie, Timothy <laughs> Chalamet, um, just nonstop with, <laughs> oh my gosh, Wonka. It was a great movie, but. Dude, yeah, I songs, love Wonka man. <laughs> Oh man. My That's son so loves uh, Scrub Scrub. He loves yelling Scrub Scrub. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you, you mentioned earlier on in, in the conversation of your family being very supportive um, growing yeah. up. And then now you moved off to college, started to have some battles, internal battles. You go off to your internship and you're like, whoa, your eyes are like open to kind of this new vision, new perspective, new lens, as you put it, of seeing it is finished and, and perspective of Jesus. How did that translate coming back home? Did you, were you open about Sharing that, still same support. Was your family growing with you, did you feel like? Mm. You know, I for me, I I used to be a two on the Enneagram. So I moved to Bellingham, which means I got hipster, so I, I got into Enneagrams um, and right. coffee. Enneagrams, coffee, and IPAs. That's like what I'm into. Um, so... For me, I was a two, but I think that was pre-understanding gospel because I felt obligated that I have to be there for everybody and I have to be, you know, a good good Christian or whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, that was my two, unhealthy, like serving others at the expense of myself and serving others, not really meaning it, but doing it out of obligation. And, and you know, that term, um, I'm just trying to be intentional. I, mm. I hate yeah. that term, my whole heart. I, I hate it so much. If you're trying to be intentional, you're not being. So just can it. Can I be real with you? Can I be honest? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's I thought you were being serious. Yeah, yeah, being serious. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no um, yeah, to me, like, and I get why people go there, and I'm not judging those people. I'm just saying, like, mm-hmm. when I would say it, I hated it because um, it showed, like, I didn't really view the person as an equal. If I'm trying to be intentional or with somebody or whatever, that shows, like, I got to love the lowly. So you got to love, you you think there's people lower than you? Like, do you think that's what they meant in the Bible? That there's people lower than you that you got to love? Because I don't think so. Because Paul says, like, view others more significant than you. Like, Paul is saying, because you're on the same playing field. Nobody is better than anybody. So this idea that you got to love the lowly, like, we got to love those who are, Lower, it's like, get off your high horse. You are yeah. all equal. Yeah. I don't know where I was. I don't know, I'm tangent. <laughs> so that goes to my point. I was a two and I, I switched to an eight, like challenger. Oh, wow. You know, like, Big I, I became a two. Yeah. Um, no, and uh, I, I think the gospel freed me. And because it was this, like, incredible, oh my gosh, Jesus paid it all. There's nothing for us to do but rest and enjoy him for the rest of our life. The end, period. I was like, I, I felt like I had this, I found this like secret that a lot of my friends or family or whatever like didn't know 
or, you know, and I was like, there's this like awesome thing, like this like key that unlocks the Bible in a way that you'll never see it. And, and like this lens of it is finished, you know? And, and so I came back excited and I came back also like angry because I was like, why, why didn't I hear this? Like, and I, I would go home and I'd listen to messages from pastors and just get mad because I'm like, dude, you're ruining it or you're creating a, a church that is not welcoming. People are leaving your church because they feel outcasted or people are leaving because they don't feel like they can question anything or people are leaving because they believe in evolution and you don't want him here because you believe in, you know, six day creation or people are leaving because they don't agree with your position on revelation or people are leaving because you look down on them because they believe predestination versus free will. It like, dude, none of that matters. All that stuff is really fun debates and fun talks, but at the end of the day, it's the gospel. That's the only thing that matters. And I might get a lot of flack for that, but I don't, I don't care at all anymore. Like, the gospel is what matters. That is what Jesus preached. That is who he was. Like when he said what that Good Samaritan story is my favorite one, because we're all the lawyer in the beginning. You know, the lawyer, the guy who knows the law, comes up to Jesus and he's like, what must I do to be saved? I mean, that is literally the question I was asking my entire life. What must I do to know that I'm really saved? To know that I can't lose it? What must I do? That was my question. And I missed it. I missed that whole story. Like Jesus responds to him and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbors yourself. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is giving the guy law. He's saying, here's how you get saved, dude. You got to do this perfectly. And the guy skips the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Skips that one. He says, who's my neighbor? The dude assumes that he already loves the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who do you know that does that? Number one. And then number two, what the heck does that mean? What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because I'll tell you what, Nick, I don't. Yeah. You don't. Nobody I know loves God perfectly. So the guy's asking, how do I know if I'm saved? And Jesus is setting him up for failure. And then the guy has the audacity to, to skip the first one and go, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus paints this good Samaritan story. Jesus is saying your neighbor is your worst enemy and you have to love him like this. You have to give up everything for him. Not only that, you have to give up everything. You have to pay the debt and then some. You have to give him the shirt off your back. You have to give him your horse to ride into town. You've got to pay for his hotel. You've got you to do everything. You've got to give your life for not just the person you hate, but everyone in your entire life. And you've got to do it every single day. It's the full meaning in your heart. And if you don't do that, you're not getting in. So is Jesus just saying like, do, do, do? Or is Jesus saying to the guy, I'm your ticket. I am. Like the one saying, these are the things you got to do is the one who's doing them. So that whole, that whole passage is a painting, is a, is a picture, is a story, is Jesus' way of saying, your ticket into heaven is me because you're not going to even do the first two things that I mentioned to you because you can't, because you failed. So understanding that for the first time, that's one story where the gospel hits in a whole new way of this beautiful savior. Like we literally need saving in every area of our life. We don't even do the simplest commands. We don't. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's the standard of the law. You want to know if you're worthy? Are you perfect? Well, no, then you're not worthy. But guess what? That's where your joy lies because the one who is fully worthy loves you and fully knows you. And he's looking at you pleased because when he looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus. And he welcomes you into his family. Not only that, he pays your, your debt and then some. He ensures that you'll never run into debt again. So for me, understanding that message, coming home, it was a mixture of excitement of like, oh my God, I can't wait to share this with like 
people who are trapped like me. Mm. And then it was also this anger of like, why'd it take so long? <laughs> you know, there was a kid who was crying himself to sleep or losing sleep at night. As a 12 year old, who had to wake up on Sunday and do worship because he felt like it wasn't good enough. Like where, where was that? You know, and maybe I'd heard it. And, and so there's anger at myself for not understanding it too. And so it caused a lot of grit. There was a lot of amazing moments. And then there's a, a lot of tension with like my family and a lot of anger on my end and just not, not handling my emotions well with them and vice versa. them not handling well with me too. So there's, there's a lot of tension. And to be honest, there's to this day, there's still some tension because I'm still, I'm still breaking down things from my past and, and ways that the church was run and the community and, um, I, th- I think now, though, where, where I stand with all this stuff is, like, I'm calling people and having those conversations. Hey, like, what was this? Or, um, I, 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 miss, I miss the feeling. I went from, like, being really excited about the message and that being what people, what created conversation with people was this excitement. And then I got to, like, a bitterness part, which that started to create the conversation, like, my bitterness and my anger. Um, and those never end well. Those always end like, uh, and it feel good, you know, like mm-hmm. I wanted to share the gospel, but you know, here I am being angry at legalism so much that, you know, that's like what's showing, um, and screw legalism. Legalism sucks, but like, I want my excitement for the gospel to be what, what has those conversations. Cause those are my favorite conversations. So to answer your question, like it, it, it was exciting. It was tension filled. There was a lot of grace conversations. There was a lot of hurt. So it's all over, all over the place. Yeah. And I talked to a lot of people from school that I went to as well, the, the college that I went to. And I have a lot of those conversations too. And those are a little more um, debating because right. um, it's that bubble that that's in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we went over a lot, um, almost at 45 minutes. Yeah. And so... I think I'll ask you, like, what what advice would you have for? Um, you kind of already touched a little bit on um, for your twelve year old self, um, mm. but or just anybody else who's like has similar experience, similar journey. What advice would you give that person? Advice is hard because I'm really, I'm really, really, really quick now to not give anybody a to-do list. Mm. What, well, let's phrase this. What did you need to know? Or what what did you need to know as your past self? Yeah, I think I needed comfort more than anything. Mm. I think I needed to know, Sam, like, I think I needed that Ephesians 1 read over me. Like, I, I think I needed, before you even knew what the word worry was, Jesus, like, God took care of you. And, like, here's where that is in the Bible. And and here's where your actions and works are not in the Bible, but it's everything Jesus did for you. And so you're standing with God, like, your fear for your salvation has nothing to do with what you've done, and but everything to do with what Jesus has done. Um I heard an analogy that I would, I would share this analogy with my, my old self, because for me, like I, I'm not really like a logical, um, intellectual, whatever, like street person. I'd like just explain it. You know, that that scene from the office when, um, Oscar's telling Michael about his surplus and Michael's like, what does that mean? Like, you know, explain it to me like I'm five. Or he's like, explain to me like I'm 10. And then, and then he explains yeah. it. He's like, okay, explain it to me like I'm five. <laughs> um, that's how I am. Explain it to me like I'm five. So, so I would have, I would have said this to myself, like you're, you're on a basketball team. Okay. And you, um, your opponent is the law of God. Your opponent is, you know, works what it like worthiness before God, that's your opponent or whatever. Right. And you're, it's halftime. You're losing a million to zero in basketball. Okay. Same basketball points Mm -hmm. system. So you have two quarters left, you know, to ensure they don't get anything else and you get over a million. 
and you go into halftime and you know you're screwed. You're like, I can't do it. Like, I can't follow the Ten Commandments. Like, I'm a failure, you know. And so you're you're in the you're in halftime and you're you know bawling your eyes out with your team because you know the end result's gonna be hell or something. You know, like you know it's like I'm not worthy. I'm not gonna make it. All this kind of stuff. So you're trying to mentally prepare yourself <laughs> for losing. And then Jesus walks in to the locker room. He's like, what are you, you know, like, what are you guys crying about? And before you know it, like you look at your watches and, and like an hour has passed. And you're like, oh my God, like we missed the game. Like we're screwed. And Jesus is like, what are you crying about? And like we're, we lost. And he's like, no, you didn't. He's like, come out here. And so you go out to the court. You see the confetti all over the floor. All the fans have left. And you look at the scoreboard and somehow the other team's points went to zero and yours went to infinity. And Jesus is like, yeah, I came here and I won the game. Mm. You know, and you're like, what? I didn't do anything. I was losing. What are you talking about? You came and you won the game. And Jesus is like, yeah, there's the scoreboard. You see the scoreboard. It literally says your team won infinity and there's zero. And Jesus just asks you like, yeah, do you believe that? Like, do you believe that I want that? Well, yeah, of course I believe it. I see it. I see like the... You know, it's like infinity to zero. Like, of course Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Of course, John three sixteen, the verse I've heard my whole life. Of course, Jesus. Of course you won the battle, the war. Cool. Then this victory is yours. Now let's go celebrate. That's the gospel. You won forever. And our life now is in victory, not in shame, not in I need to get better but in Jesus one. And we take that, we take that victory. And so often we're like, no, but I got to show God how good I am at dribbling. Mm -hmm. I got to, I got to show God that I can make a free throw. And it's like, the game's over. What are you trying to prove? And I would have told myself that Sam, it's not about what you have to prove or what you have to be or how good of a person you are, or you're a scale of how much you sin versus how much you read your Bible, or how much you watch Netflix versus how much you read your Bible. It's never been about that. It's always been about, did Jesus win? Did he do the law perfectly and die for your sins? And if you answer yes, then you're his and you're in the victory forever. And you can rest actually, knowing that. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see the sins that you've done. When he looks at you, he's always pleased. That would have been a game changer. But maybe, you know, if I would have gone to my past self and said that, maybe Sam at that time wouldn't have understood it. And that's, that's the thing, dude, is the Spirit works in this time, and it takes some people to a 10-minute conversation to get it, and some people it takes, for me, it took, you know, 23 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And then last, what, what do you want people to know about Sam? Uh, I'm broke, dude, I'm broken. Uh, I'm not perfect and I'm no better than I was five or 10 years ago. And still Jesus loves me. Yeah. Simple as that. (laughs) And like, if anyone wants to talk or, or debate or, um, or just be heard, like reach out. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's good. Thanks for being space, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I love what you're doing, dude. I think I think what you're doing is such a cool avenue for uh, for broken just brokenness to come and be heard, and and um, everybody's broken. Broken, messed up people are all that there are, you know, in this world. Mm-hmm. Like we're all broken and we're all messed up, and we've all been hurt, and um, yeah, you, no one's alone. No one's ever been alone. I think I think what you're yeah. doing is a reminder of that I think it's really cool. Thank you. Hey there. If you're like me, you love diving into a good story, but who has time to sit down and read? That's where Audible comes in. With Audible, you can listen to your favorite books, whether you're commuting, working out, or just chilling at home. 
They've got an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, from bestsellers to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Right now, Audible is offering our listeners a special deal. Just visit collisionpodcast.org slash sponsors. Again, collisionpodcast.org slash sponsors to start your free 30-day trial.